The tournament is where Cinderella stories begin, and big wins happen on the biggest stage. With Gambit DC, you could make your Cinderella story a reality. Take advantage of new player bonuses online and in app, or play in person for boosted parlays. You can bet on all 63 games, even if your bracket's busted, and play from the edge of your seat with exciting in-game bets. Make your bets now with Gambit DC. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. This is a podcast from Minute Media. It's time for the Tigers Radio Podcast, the most complete coverage of Detroit Tigers baseball from the high-flying Tigers of Lakeland to the show. I welcome into another episode of Tigers Radio Podcast here at MotorCityBangles.com. I'm Rogelio Casillo. Alongside me is Chris Brown. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, and Stitchler. Today, our special guest is a voice familiar to all baseball fans, especially in Detroit. He's the author of two books, If These Walls Could Talk, his story about his broadcasting career throughout the minor leagues and in the majors, and a book that came out late last year, The Major League Mindset, which serves as a guide for young broadcasters aiming for a job as a major league broadcaster. And his website, baseballbroadcasting.com, has some fantastic resources, including scoring sheets and plenty of other stuff to just help you navigate through that. Mr. Mario Pemba, how you doing? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Doing well. And uh, Chris, uh, go ahead and ask our first first time guest our favorite question. Uh, Yeah, Mario, I'd say, hey, this is the thrill for us. You know, uh, as Riley was saying, you know, you're the the voice of Tigers baseball for many of us. So it's it's awesome to have you on. We always uh, like to ask our first guest about their earliest baseball memory. And uh, I know you grew up in the Michigan area, so I assume it had something to do with the Tigers. Yeah, I did. Uh, You know, I could probably go back to when I was probably six or seven and uh, I don't know who won the game. I don't know who the Tigers played. I do remember walking into Tiger stadium though. And uh, as a little kid, it was bat day at the ballpark. So that's really the only thing I remember. Now this was back in the day when bat day meant bat day. It was the legit bat that they gave you. And it wasn't one of these little, you know, tiny ones, mini ones you find in the gift shop. So I remember walking in and, you know, I'm being handed this, this huge Dick McCall bat and every Tiger rally fans would just pound these things on the ground. And it was, you know, it was something I remembered. It's, it, it's funny because they would never do that today, you know, and there's no way they would hand out these weapons to people walking into the ballpark, but it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, it's nothing you could probably piggyback on 50 cent beer night, but it was cool. And uh, that's probably what I remember the most. Uh, it's my first Tiger game. Ironically, again, I had no idea who they played. I had no idea if the Tigers won, but it was the bat team, man. And I got me a dick out with bat. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's funny. It's, uh, some of my earliest memories of going to Tiger Stadium involve, I think they were the mini bats by that point. This would have been the late 80s. Uh, but yeah, that was like a big deal. You, you go, it's, as a kid, I also remember going to Battle Creek to like the Kellogg's factory. Yeah. And, and the big thing of that was you get a free box of cereal at the end. It, it, at least it was free to me. I'm sure my parents paid whatever, you know, to get in. But yeah, like, hey, I go to a baseball game, I get a free bat. This is this is great. I'm going to stick yeah, with this thing. Cool. And this bat actually sat in my garage for years and years and years. And, uh, you know, we eventually moved as a kid. I don't know what happened to Dick McAuliffe bat, but it's gone by now. And it was uh, it was a cool keepsake to have, you know, throughout my childhood. Yeah, some of those, some of those bats too. Like they just, it seemed like there was the end of a table, just how big they were and, and how heavy they were. Especially, I remember the Tigers 
the, the first baseman that played um, with the, the glasses, uh, Howard, uh, or I'm trying to think of the guy's name. I, I'm drawing a blank right now. He was a tall guy, but he looked like he had a big bat. And I can't remember. Howard Johnson? No, 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 Frank Howard. Frank Howard. Howard. Yeah, Frank Howard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank Howard looked like he had a toothpick in his hand, comparatively speaking to his stature. But so uh, we were thinking, anticipating today that the lockout was going to end. But of course, the people refreshing their Twitter was were disappointed to see. And and Mario, this is kind of now they're talking about the season not beginning until April fourteenth, when Tigers would go on the road against Kansas City. What are your impressions about the lockout? Because it just seems the everyday. What's not, I mean, some good things about social media, you get the instant gratification of knowing news. And then the bad side of it is you get the updates and it's just kind of unresolved and it just leaves this weird tension in the air. Well, I think like anybody else, I was, you know, refreshing Twitter every two seconds today, you know, hoping that they would finally come to an agreement. And, you know, I thought they are too close not to really kind of get together and unless get this thing done. All of a sudden, you know, international draft comes up and it's like, well, where did this come from? And, you know, they talked about the pre-arb pool and they were close on that. They talked about luxury tax. They got close on that and the minimum salary. They got close on that. And all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's a, it's something that nobody ever expected to kind of, you know, come up at the 11th hour and, and bust up negotiations. But, you know, I, I'm really sad for the people of of Florida and Arizona. These, you know, spring training towns are really, really count on this money. Um, you know, having gone down to Lakeland for the last almost 20 years with the Tigers, uh, I really got a feel for what it meant to the town of Lakeland. And you could say that about really any spring training town. So these people there are, are definitely going to be hurting. And there's no doubt that, you know, the, the ticket takers, concession people and, you know, parking lot owners and around Detroit are going to be hurting too. But, you know, hopefully they're going to figure this thing out and, and get opening day, you know, maybe two weeks late. But it's better than, you know, sacking the season, which I don't think is going to happen. But what I want to know is what we did for like 40 days, you know, prior to when <laughs> they, they decided to start negotiating. I mean, I don't know. I, I lived through the 94, 95 strike because my first job in big league baseball was 95 with the angels. And that was coming off the 94 strike. So I saw how long these things take and how ridiculous they can be. And, you know, deadlines don't mean anything and last and best offer doesn't mean anything. And it's just kind of ridiculous. And, and, and I just wish they could have gotten it done today, but you know, we sit and wait. I mean, the severity of that strike, too, in 1994 with Donald Fuhrer being the Players Association, too, it just seemed like I remember Tom Glavin going out there and saying that they were, they were sticking to their guns yeah. and, and just a whole back and forth about that. And so I think the one of the things, too, in, in the you're right about the international draft, but it, it also I the only thing about the, inter- the international draft that came out was it just seemed like the – there wasn't even clarity where you see Carlos Guillen saying, well, this would be a good thing. And then others. And so I'm not sure where the angle came from, but overall in terms of stopping the labor talks, I think it's just, it's either once it's just seems like it's a, a one a PR move, a kind of chess match of PR moves right now at this point. And a lot, a lot of fans are paying for it. Yeah. I, and I think players really had an opportunity to select option number two of the three options the owners gave them. And, and that pretty much sort of given them eight months to kind of figure this out. And if they couldn't get it figured out, then, you know, we renegotiate in a couple of years. But at least you had labor peace for a couple of years and you continue to play the game. But 
uh, you know, I don't know what it's like to be sitting in those those rooms. I mean, you know, we rely on people like Bob Nightingale and John Heyman and all these people for our information. We're not in there and we don't know what's going on. And, you know, the best we can do is kind of guess and form right. our own opinions. But um, it, it's disappointing. I think that when you get this close to have something like that derail things so late, it just takes the air out of the balloon. And quite honestly, guys, I think, you know, fans are kind of sick of it. And, and I worry about the game because, you know, kids these days have a lot of other things they can do than to watch baseball games. And I think that, you know, in order to grow the game, you've got to avoid things like this. And uh, again, what were we doing in December for a whole month? You know, we're just kind of sitting on our hands saying, well, you know, once January rolls around, we'll start negotiating. Once February rolls around, well, you know, it, it's too late at that point. Yeah, you know, and, and we were discussing before, it, it sometimes it, it feels at this point, and to your point, I, I do feel like that was kind of on the owners. The owners basically you know, locked the players out and then didn't do anything for a long time. In uh, the way it's working now is now that the, they've kind of finally started negotiating with each other in the last two, three weeks, I, I think the PR is turning after today. It kind of had been in the fans' corner, at least from my perspective. Maybe that's just uh, you know the bubble I've created for myself on Twitter. But uh, I see more and more people complaining about the players now, which I I, I don't know. It yeah. It, uh, it yeah, it could be turning soon. But I I don't know. It, it, uh, like a lot of people, I just I did not picture an international draft being the sticking point. No. Uh, well, I I think that in the last hour or so of just you know going through Twitter and social media. It's funny how it went from, I hate you owners to, I hate you major baseball player association. I mean, it, you know, you're right. I think it has shifted now because the players really had a really close deal there. It's time to just get back on the field. Let's worry about the international deal a little bit later. Yes. It's important. I mean, David Ortiz, if you saw his comments, we do realize how important it is. And, and I agree with that, but that doesn't mean we're totally shuttling things. Um, let, let's just get it done, get on the field. But, you know, we'll see what next week brings. But uh, it looks like two weeks of games now are gone. And, you know, they say that, you know, these games are canceled. Are they really? We'll see. I think once you get past this point, it's going to be hard to make up games. You know, having gone through a big league schedule, you start taking away off days, and that's not good because off days are gold to players and broadcasters, by the way, uh, <laughs> during, during the big league season. So you start adding days on to the end of the year. You start taking off days away, and now you're going to have problems because now you're playing, you know, 15, 16, 17 straight days, and that's not good. Yeah, no, I seem to remember uh, uh, discussions about having nice off days in Chicago, which has always seemed to be yeah. a, a good thing. Well, it, up there. <laughs> we, and we, we wrote an article just uh, last week about how, I mean, you know, you, you try not to – celebrate it too much but if the tigers do miss their first few weeks the the first seven games are on the west coast they begin or they began with four at seattle and three at oakland which is probably not nobody's too sad about missing those i don't think but uh maybe it's not as bad if you start the season out there that's a death march believe me man going out to the west coast is a death march whether it's seattle whether it's oakland whether it's anaheim i mean we played the padres one year when they were like the worst team in baseball and they swept the tigers so it's you know, it's there's something about going out to the West Coast. I can't put my fingers on it. I, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, that time change or there's just so much to do out there, like you know, go to the beach and the nightlife and stuff. I don't know, but um, it's it's kind of weird. 
Yeah, because I remember the you you experienced this on both ends being an Angels broadcaster too. The Tigers have only had, I think, since nineteen ninety three winning series since till till recently in Anaheim, and I I don't know what it is about that stadium. I, it's just it's it's always mystified me. In Oakland, they've done okay to a certain extent, but the Angels, I it just. Every time I'm like, oh man, and even when I'm trying to think of even uh, I think it was Spark- well, Sparky had one of the last seasons, and then even during the whole the run the, the big run they had from 2006 onward, no success in Anaheim. No, and it's really a great ballpark. I mean, you just talk to a lot of the players who play on that field; they love the field. I see the infield is smooth; it's great. The sight lines are awesome. Uh, you get good rigs on fly balls to the Big A, and it's a great place to play. But you know, I think part of the problem in, in Southern California is that so many players are from that area. So when the Tigers would go to play the Angels or the Dodgers or any, really anybody in the West Coast, all of a sudden the pass list becomes pretty big. And all of a sudden you've got a lot of family at the ballpark or, you know, you're heading out and spending time with families. Um, and that maybe divides your attention a little bit. I don't know. Maybe I'm grasping at straws, but I, I certainly think it's easier to go into – Cleveland or Kansas City or Baltimore, where you know that fam- players don't have families waiting for them, um, than it is to go on the West Coast because so many players are from Southern California that it you know becomes an issue. You know, one thing I was just going back to these negotiations, I was thinking about there's there's a little bit of a tiger flavor to some of the player uh, union side there. I, I know you probably had uh, more than a few. Uh, I won't say run-ins, but you probably talked to Max Scherzer quite a bit. I don't know uh, if you ever – Andrew Miller was pretty young when he was with the Tigers, yeah. not around for a ton of time. But but Tony Clark, too, I don't know if you ever ran into him much or – Not really. Max probably would be the guy that I, I spent most time with and had most of my interactions with. And, and it's not surprising to me that he's kind of taken a lead here among the players as, as one of their, you know, people that wants to be heard. I mean, Max – is a really, really intelligent guy. I mean, really intelligent. I mean, he's obviously a tremendous baseball player, but this guy is very analytical, and that's the first thing I noticed about him or realized about him when he played for the Tigers. Very analytical guy, great with numbers. Um, So it doesn't surprise me that he's kind of in the middle of all this. Um, The other two guys, Andrew Miller, was really kind of quiet when he came up with the Tigers. I didn't really have too many – uh, major interactions with him. He kind of kept to himself. He was still young at the time. And, and Tony was uh, before I got to the Tigers. So of the three, uh, Max is probably uh, the most, the guy that I had most experience with. And does not surprise me that he's kind of taking the lead on this from the players end. So Mario, when you, when did you decide to go in the broadcast? And what was that moment in your youth that was just like, you know what, this is my career. This is something I want to do for the rest of my life. I just want to call baseball games. Well, you know, I think I, I narrowed it down to two things. I either wanted to be a sports writer or a baseball announcer. And when I got to Michigan State, I realized that I couldn't write under deadline. I can write, but I can't do it under deadline. And so I decided, you know what, let me try out for the campus radio station. I'll do some games, see if they'll take me on. I eventually became sports director of the radio station there, and and I was hooked, man. I mean, we did Spartan basketball, baseball, and hockey. We did some road trips. We'd do games at, like, Purdue and at Michigan. 
um, it was really a really cool experience for me. But really, until I got out of college and got my first job in pro ball, which was in the minor leagues in Peoria, Illinois, back in 87, uh, doing a full year of, of baseball, pro baseball, it really opened up my eyes to how difficult it is. I mean, we did 144 games, and I remember doing the first game, and I put my headsets down, and we adjusted a four-and-a-half-hour game with two rain delays, and I thought to myself, we've got like 143 more of these to do. How in the world am I going to survive this? I mean, it was it was a bear, but I learned that, you know, you show up the next day, show up the day after that, and I kind of got used to the baseball schedule, and uh, always had a love for baseball. So, you know, I would say probably when I was in junior high or high school that I had my kind of sights set on on being the next Ernie Harwell, so to speak. And, um, you know, fortunately, I got a chance to do it here in Detroit for 17 years. And uh, it, it was awesome, man. You, you can't explain how cool it is having grown up in a ballpark and then later on in life covering that same team uh, as a job for you know almost two decades, so it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, and, you know we've been running out to a lot of uh, former Midwest League games. We were still going there when it was still called the Midwest League. Yeah. Uh, and we know it's it it it's not a glamorous life being an announcer in the minor leagues either. We, we've we've uh, I don't know if you're f- uh, you know familiar with Dan Hasty who broadcasts the I West Whitecaps, yep. um, but Dan's a great guy too, and we we've talked to him and. Uh, yeah, just knowing all the other stuff that the, the announcers have to do. They're basically running like the media department and, and just, uh, yeah, riding the bus with the players. It's it's a real experience. So if you come up through that and you make it, it's, I mean, it's uh, it's far more rare than actually being a player because there's only a, a certain number of announcers for, for each major league team. So it's it's pretty remarkable. And and just uh, along those lines with uh, with Dan Hasty, I, I always know a story he tells about uh, he wrote a letter to Ernie Harwell when he was really young and Ernie took the time to write him back and how much that meant to him. And so I think it's really cool that you've got this website here with these resources for aspiring broadcasters, because, you know, not everybody is going to reach out or, or give back like that and, and to have job links and things like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, it's something that that's kind of important to me it always has been because, you know, I realized early on in my career, you can't get to where you want to get to without help. I mean, you need people to help you and people to support you. And, you know, you need that one or two people that, you know, are, are going to make a difference in your life, in your career. And it, it was that way for me. And Ernie was one of those guys for me as well. I mean, it, when I finally got to Detroit, it was his last year and that was my first year. But we did a couple of games. Ernie would actually fill in on TV uh, a couple of times. And, uh, I mean, it was surreal to me to be sitting next to the guy calling games. I mean, I, I just, I've got photos and I've got mementos that, you know, mean the world to me. I've got, you know, handwritten notes that Ernie would send me and, and it, it's just really cool. But it taught me that if I ever got into a position to help people that I wanted to do that. And I get so many young announcers send me tapes saying, Hey, will you critique my tape? You know, give us a listen, tell me what you think. I just said, why don't we just kind of create a website? Um, you know, it, it's still very much in the formative years right now. I, I need to really start to build it up. But, you know, as we go, I think we'll build more resources on there. And, and hopefully uh, young announcers from across the country can uh, can utilize it. Especially because I mean, you look at the way schools are these days, it seems uh, sometimes with, of course, Michigan State has a great impact radio program. Uh, they do a fantastic job. 
of broadcasting, of course, Central Michigan. But you hear some some of these radio stations are not doing internships, and the, the for anybody in the, in the area, those familiar specs hours no longer around. So, uh, Mario, I think your your the resources are fantastic for anybody out there. That it is hard; it really is something to get in baseball. To get in the baseball period, it seems like it's you, you know even if you, if you know somebody or somebody, but if, if, it seems also that once you get in, you're you're in. You you prove your worthy work. But yeah, it's just to have these resources out there, especially the the game prep stuff. That that's little things that people don't think about. Yeah, I, you know, I think sometimes I, you know, I wonder: am I getting too far into the weeds on this? Am I getting too technical? And do I need to really get into some of these topics? But they were important to me because I had to master these things to to get to the big leagues and and even to stay in the big leagues. You know, little things like learning how to interview, learning how to keep your mouth shut when somebody answers the question. You know, little things that you kind of you know realize over the years that these are important things. And so I, you know, I kind of wanted to put them together and and have people be able to come and say, all right, we've got a section on there called Pro Perspective where we interview some of the best baseball analysts around the country and they give their impressions on everything, you know, about their careers, their lives um, and advice. And I, I think those are valuable. And I really want to beat that section up. I mean, you know, you got Joe Davis talking about self-doubt early in his career. You know, Joe Davis now voice on Fox and voice of the Dodgers. So, you know, he's a guy from a small Michigan town that, you know, made it to the big time. And to be able to hear Joe Davis said, yeah, when I started, I doubted myself, was I any good? Could I make it? You know, when you hear guys like this tell these stories, I think it gives people, you know, the opportunity to realize, yeah, you know what? I, I'm not the only one that thinks that I may struggle and I'm not very good and that I have to practice. I mean, you, you just kind of learn these things. And, and I think it's, kind of a cool way to give back. I especially enjoyed the Dan Schulman one too, because he's one of my favorite uh, play-by-play guys. He does a really good job of college basketball and now with the Blue Jays. And of course, uh, Chris and I always joke around Buck Martinez is a uh, way he uh, calls strikes and um, <laughs> just the overpronunciation, but it's still Buck's Buck's really good at what he does. And yeah. so, um, but at any rate, uh, but Chris, did you want to follow up? Well, no, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I can't talk to you and not think of the last 20 years of Tigers baseball. Basically, uh, you know, I, I, there's so many iconic moments from watching the games and, and there's things I could mention, but I, I'm curious if there are like moments that stick out to you that were great to broadcast or, or things that fans might not realize were, were big moments for you that actually were. I, I, there's anything that sticks out. Well, yeah, there are so many things, you know, when I go through the years, I mean, they're the obvious ones, like the Verlander no-hitters, uh, Cabrera winning the Triple Crown. I mean, you know, the two World Series appearances, the All-Star game here in 2005, those are all really cool, really big moments. But there are, sometimes there are the little things that you kind of remember. I mean, there was there was an at-bat that, that I right now consider my favorite call of all time that I've ever had. And that was the Chris Sale, J.D. Martinez at bat, where J.D. came off the DL, steps out of the dugout, first pitch hits a home run. Um, Just electric. And we kind of predicted it on the air, too. Wouldn't it be neat if he hit one out and boom, he hits one out? And it's like, oh, my God, we just got so lucky, but it's so cool. Um, You know, the Galarraga thing is, is one that sticks in my mind because not because of what happened and, and, and how bad it was for him and, and Jim Joyce, but because of 
what came of it because the next day, you know, everybody's kind of forgave each other and, and they realized we're all human, human beings and, and we, we got on with life. Um, the night Ernie Harwell uh, made his speech on the field uh, before he passed away at Comerica Park, they stopped the game to have Ernie Harwell come out behind home plate and talk to the fans. Well, what people don't realize is that before the game, Ernie came in the in their booth, in our TV booth at Fox, pulled me aside and just was just so generous with his time. He said, hey, it's your time here. Congratulations. Keep doing a great job. I'm pulling for you. And this is a guy who's dying. I mean, it, it, it's little things like that that you remember more than, you know, big home runs or big hits. But, yeah, you know, for nearly two decades to have a front row seat to some of the best Tiger teams you could argue in history, um, it's pretty cool. I can say that that 2014 rotation is probably – <laughs> it has to be the best rotation of all time. I, I can't. Yeah. The 2013 rotation, considering that we sat through, I've always, I joke about the 90s Tigers. I mean, the, the uh, you know, Lima time days, the, some of the high, like the 96 team was, it's just the, the, one of the worst ERAs of all time. But that 2014 team, just how they came together as a rotation and something we're not going to see anymore, Mario, which is three, Pitchers yeah. that are going to throw through 200 innings. Yeah, you're probably not going to see it. You know, I go back to that 13 team. You had Verlander, Scherzer, Fister, and Sanchez. And, you know, that's pretty formidable, too. I mean, three of those guys had better than 200 strikeouts. You know, but, you, you know, then you have Verlander, Scherzer, and Price, one, two, three, and you get swapped by the Orioles. So, I mean, it, it you know, postseason is just so – it's just a crapshoot. And, you know, that – if that didn't teach you that anything can happen in the postseason, to have Verlander, Scherzer, and Price get beaten in consecutive games, then, you know, nothing does. But I look back at that 13 team is, for me, probably my f- second favorite team to cover. I-, I would still go with those six because they came out of nowhere. Nobody gave them the chance. And uh, they really were a gritty bunch. Um, but that 13 team, I think, might have been the best team that I covered here in Detroit. And again, you know, that series in Boston goes to show you that sometimes the best team doesn't win. Yeah. Especially the, uh, yeah, that's, that's a, every time I think about the, even the 2012 team in the world series against the giants, that was the giants could do no wrong. And yeah, Yeah. there was, yeah, it's especially now it's a crazy thing. It's been 10 years since then, but uh, speaking of the tigers, the current rotation right now looks promising. You have, Eric Scooble, you have Casey Mize, you have Matt Manning. There's a lot of young pitching, and there seems like to be when you see in, on on social media the all the gadgets, the wall, the the pitching. Uh, was it the R band thing I saw in there, Chris? I can't remember exactly what it was, but this rotation last year, I mean, under AJ Hinch, the, the Tigers. Team, I'll be honest, really surprised me last year. They came together well. What were your thoughts about the team last year? Because it just seems like the, everything was like a perfect storm of it just even on the defensive side of things, this is a team that has struggled defensively in the last few years, and you wouldn't notice it last year. I mean, minus a shortstop a little bit, but it just seemed like they were a team that was on a mission a little bit. Yeah, they were, and they got some performances probably they didn't expect, you know, from Mikhail Badu. And, you know, they've got some good young guys coming up. But, you know, I think you mentioned the rotation. When you started talking about Mize, Manning, Scooble, and now you've got Ada Rodriguez as a veteran in that rotation. 
and Turnbull coming back probably, if not the end of the year next year, that, that's pretty formidable. Um, if these guys take the next step and if these guys progress as we think they will. You know, I remember talking to Gibby and, and Alan Trammell a lot about 84, and they always talked about the fact that the reason we were so good was the fact that we came up in the minor leagues together. We played together, you know, from A-ball to triple-A to the big leagues. You know, think about that core of Petrie and Morris and and Tram and, you know, all those guys. And it's just in Parrish and Gibby. I mean, those guys all played together in the minor leagues. And I'm starting to see that now with the Tigers because you get Green and Torkelson up, and now you, you kind of put them on a lineup with this pitching staff that – if they can progress, it's really going to be a, a dynamic core of players that, you know, have kind of all been around together. Um, you know, since I left the team, I really haven't been as in-depth with the minor league guys. But from what I hear and what I read, Torkelson and Green are really good buds. And, you know, they're getting to the big leagues at the same time. And it's exciting, man. I mean, if you're a Tigers fan, it's uh, it's exciting. And, and maybe what's sped up, the Tigers rebuild more than anything else was the White Sox hiring Tony Larusa and not AJ Hinch <laughs> because AJ Hinch falls in the lap of Alavila and believe you me, this guy is going to get it done. I think in Detroit, man, he is just just watching him from afar when he was managing the Astros. Just a sharp dude, and look what he did with the Tigers last year. I mean, he's he's got him going in the right direction, so it's it's going to be good. Yeah, watching. I, I think we watched. We went to well, Chris like over fifty minor league games. Like, or no, close to sixty. It seems like we went right. to a lot of games last year and dozens. Watching, yeah, yeah. We went to Erie. Each, we made a mistake once of driving to Erie and then coming back to Michigan in the same night, and that was not good. Long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's it was totally worth it, and especially to see the young crop of players. And you're absolutely right. The even with Ryan Kreidler too on his way up, and and I think the infield is going to be a good season. Or good, we're going to see some a lot of progress from them in, in terms of uh, hopefully when there is a season. But the one of the last questions I want to ask you in terms of teams that you were that were not Tigers related that you had a chance to call, what team, especially even with uh, with Anaheim and Boston, but overall, what team impressed you the most? So you were out there and you knew it was going to give the Tigers or any team you watched a challenge. Well, you know, if I look back at you, you mean teams that I broadcast for or just teams in general? Just teams in general. Pardon my. Well, yeah, you roll into the Yankee Stadium and you see the, you know, you see those lineups every day and you're like, okay, this is just not fair. But then you realize that, you know, you could have A Ride and Stan and all these guys in your lineup and it doesn't mean you're going to win. I mean, some of the best teams that I saw were teams that had really good balance, that didn't necessarily have an all star at every position. Um, I had the misfortune of, of leading the Angels in 2002, the year they won the World Series. Uh, so I worked for seven years in Anaheim and saw a lot of really good players. I mean, Jim Edmonds came through, Tim Salmon, Garrett Anderson. I mean, it went on and on. Darren Erstad, um, Eckstein came through there. I mean, it was it was really, really good. And then just as they were getting good, I came to the Tigers and they won the World Series and we went on to lose 119 games. So, uh, you know, the timing wasn't good on my part, but um, there have been a lot of great teams. You know, I, I look back at those Cleveland teams of the late 90s that had yeah. that middle of the lineup that had Tommy and Manny Ramirez and they had Vizquel playing short. I mean, it, those were the teams that I really – 
enjoyed watching play um, because they had really good balance. But if, if I had to look at some of the teams, I'd say those Cleveland teams were really good. And I probably say that because when well, I was broadcasting for the Tigers and the Angels, they always beat our team. And so uh, those were some really good squads. And the 1997 squad that lost to the Marlins is one of the best yeah. starting nine I've ever no heard. No question. Yeah, I mean, it's just you have uh, all these guys in their prime, and you have Jamie Wright going out there tossing gold, and they couldn't get it done. And that's one of those you, – you were yeah. talking about that earlier about it's just it's just kind of fate of what happens. But that Cleveland team, I just remember when the Tigers moved to the AL Central, I was just shaking my head. It's just like it's not even going to be fair. I mean, it was already in the AL East – and these teams were getting really good. You had Toronto coming off, and then the Yankees were starting to get hot. But then you're like, oh, great. We got Cleveland and Chicago. And, the, and I thought the White Sox were doing pretty well. Oh, well, getting to that. But, yeah, those Indians teams, uh, I remember even Dennis Martinez. Because Dennis Martinez is one of my favorite pitchers to watch. And when he joined the Indian, when he joined Cleveland, I was – it's the only reason why. I was like, oh, man, come on, get Dennis Martinez. And anyway, <laughs> I digress. But, uh, Chris, you want to follow up with anything else? Uh, just a couple of random oddball questions. Uh, I, I'm curious. Did you watch Brockmeyer? I did not. Oh, okay. I, I, just, I wondered if it might, yeah, might hit too close to home as a, a broadcaster to, to watch yeah. a, a show about broadcasters. <laughs> no, I did not watch it. <laughs> it's pretty good, but uh, yeah, if you get time, and, and I noticed you, you're, you're wearing some Spartans gear there, so I'm, I'm curious. Uh, you're still hardcore MSU fan here. Yeah, I am. You know, I, uh, I, I really have always been a big football and basketball fan at the college level. And, you know, D'Antonio had a lot of great years and now Mel Tucker's doing a great job of really kind of ratcheting up the recruiting and, you know, Izzo's been Izzo. So I kind of, I, uh, I die green and white, man. I, I just bleed green and white and, you know, they got a game tomorrow. Their, their basketball team this year is, eh, I don't know. We'll see. But, uh, the, the future will spread, I think, for both. But, yeah, I, you know, and that's not to take away what Michigan has done. I mean, their football team last year was was pretty good. And uh, I think Juwan Howard's a great coach. So I think their basketball team is, is going the right direction, too. So it's great, man. Rivalries are great. And uh, I've got a lot of Michigan fans. And sometimes, you know, I'm doing the bragging. And sometimes they are. So it's fun. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, especially uh, the, when both teams are really good in the Big Ten, it, it makes things a lot more compelling. Yeah. So, but uh, Mario, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And everybody go to baseballbroadcasting.com. You can find some really good resources out there. I know we have a couple of young listeners that in the audience and we have his his books too. You can, you can buy his books there. He's Wallace Could Talk, which is a, his look out look of playing or excuse me looking at those tiger teams and his starters career as well and the major league mindset again this is some like i said i as somebody who used to work or done, who's done podcasts and nobody ever has an opportunity to give me an air check or something like that i think having that ability to go to a mentor like that and say give honest critique because you're not going to always it, it, getting critique like that is very difficult in certain in certain circumstances, but I, I know Mario. I'm really I'm, I'm really impressed with that, and that's that's really good. You're giving back, honestly. Well, guys, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for uh, talking about the website. And uh, again, yeah, it's baseballbroadcasting.com, and we love to listen to your tape. And uh, if not, just kind of you know cruise by, use some of the resources, and help yourself out if you're a young announcer, and uh, we'd love to help you.